0: O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Salah. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 88, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, November the 12th, 2021. As I've said before, these kinds of psalms um, are uncomfortable for me. It's an uncomfortable thing to to speak publicly i guess in this way but but the reality is is that this is the way we're encouraged to pray actually we're encouraged to share our hearts and to bear our hearts to him it's you find it all through the old testament and then you see it when you see people coming to jesus um, when you see the lepers come to Jesus, when you see the Syrophoenician woman come to Jesus, and, and it's it's a matter of I am so desperate, I am beaten down so far, I am going through such a difficult time that I that I need help. And, and if you've never been there, then that I am happy for you, I really am. Um, but but the reality is is that 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 is not an uncommon feeling, and those emotions are not uncommon. And and we're called to to pour that out before the Lord. we the the main thing that the the bible would say about it is 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 to tell you to do exactly that to pour it out before the lord don't go talking to everybody else in the world and 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 murmuring and grumbling that's the the issue here is murmuring and grumbling are the opposite of going directly to the lord and laying it bare before him and so so yeah while it's uncomfortable to read those kinds of things it's it's so human and it's because it's captured in Scripture, then, then it's it's telling us something about the way that we can talk to our heavenly Father, as well. So, just a heads up on that. So, here we go. We got today. It's we have uh, we're still in First Maccabees, um, the first chapter, the forty-first through the sixty-third verses. We're in the Book of Revelation, chapter nineteen, verses eleven to sixteen, and then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter sixteen, verses thirteen to twenty. So in the Maccabees, we're continuing to get the backdrop, the history of of why what Judas Maccabeus uh, did, the revolt that he led, why it was necessary. And so today it's basically just a history lesson, and and it's the history of the atrocities that that the Jews uh, were forced to endure at that time. And you're going to see and hear in this an odd word, and and it's a word that's going to be jarring when you hear it, so I'll go ahead and give it to you now. It's holocaust. It's altar of holocausts. And what it means is an altar on which something is completely consumed by fire, just so you'll know. Then the king issued an edict to his whole kingdom that all of his subjects should become a united people, with each nation abandoning its particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the decree of the king, and many among the Israelites adopted his religion, sacrificing to idols and profaning the Sabbath. What, what you can look at to see that kind of point, there's two different places, right? Daniel's one of them, because that was the Nebuchadnezzar's intention was to bring the nations into Babylon and show them the superiority of Babylon, Babylonian culture, and so to take away their own um, identity as a culture. And then um, you see it also in the, the Haman the objection he raises about the Jews in the book of Esther, and that is, these they've got all these people out here who who don't follow your customs; they follow their own customs and worship their own gods. And so that's the problem: is is that you haven't really incorporated them into the empire, and they're a threat and a danger in the same way that they were perceived to be a threat and a danger in Egypt because they were so numerous prior to the Exodus. So that's the that's what's the uh, the tactic. That, that was employed by the king, was Antiochus Epiphanes, was to assimilate and, and quash differences. So the king also sent messengers to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with edicts commanding them to adopt practices that were foreign to their country to prohibit holocausts, sacrifices, and libations in the sanctuary to profane the Sabbaths and feast days, to defile the temple and its priests, to build altars, temples, and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean beasts, to leave their sons uncircumcised, and to allow themselves to be defiled with every kind of impurity and abomination so that they would forget the law and change all their observances. Anyone who refused to obey the command of the king was to be put to death. These were the terms of the edicts he issued throughout his kingdom. He appointed inspectors to supervise all the people, and he commanded all the towns of Judah to offer sacrifices town by town. Many of the people abandoning the law joined them and committed evil deeds in the land, thereby driving Israel into hiding in every possible place of refuge. On the fifteenth day of the month, Kislev, in the year 145, the king erected upon the altar of holocausts the abomination that causes desolation. And what they believe is that he put a shrine there with a pig's head on it. And pagan altars were built in the surrounding towns of Judah. Incense was offered at the doors of the houses and in the streets. Any scrolls of the law that were found were torn to pieces and destroyed by fire. If any people were discovered in possession of a book of the covenant or acting in conformity with the law, they were condemned to death by decree of the king. Month after month, these wicked people used their power against any loyal Israelite found in the towns. On the 25th day of each month, they offered sacrifice on the altar and erected on top of the altar of holocausts. In accordance with the royal decree, any women who had their children circumcised were put to death with their infants hung from their necks. Also put to death were their families and those who had circumcised them. Despite all this, many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat any unclean food. They preferred to die rather than be defiled by such food and profane the Holy Covenant, and they suffered death for their convictions. This is a horrible thing to read. It's not really any different from what happened in the actual Holocaust in Nazi Germany, it's, it's made it criminal not just to be a Jew, but to practice any form of Judaism, to to keep the festivals and all that, made you uh, suspect and made you somebody that should be killed. And it's the same thing that was going on in Egypt when Pharaoh decided to kill all the Hebrew children that were born. And so thereby commit genocide against them. And here there's this genocidal intent, but there's an out, right? Give up your religion. Give up the practice of your religion. Give up the things that you believe— if you do that, then you'll be perfectly fine. We, we won't bother you at all. We'll leave you completely alone. We'll keep an eye on you, but we won't harm you in any way. I mean, it's the way that government's used, right? I mean, the government uses all these kinds of tactics to, to enforce conformity. And once it decides what's best and you don't comply, then you're a suspect, and that's the way that, that America's going. That's the way we're being treated in America and, and in a lot of other places, actually, right now as well. And we, we have to be aware of this. We have to play the long game. And we have to be faithful to what we know and what we believe. In, in those times, we can't be those people who allow, uh, in the name of whatever, peace, um, whatever, to, to dictate to us how we practice our faith and how we live it out. So in the Matthew Gospel passage, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is a town that was built to honor Caesar Philip, right? So the, it's built in order specifically to honor him, and there were shrines there to the many, many gods that were worshiped and, and were licit, allowable worship in the empire. And so there were all these shrines there, and we believe that Jesus is probably standing in front of that Uh, set of shrines, and saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is, in comparison with these whose, you know, reliefs are on the wall behind me. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There's been a strong current of belief in reincarnation among Jews for a very long time, um, that a spirit of a person can get into another person, that that spirit being eternal is likewise able to God's able to put that spirit into someone. And, and and if you could say, compare it, for instance, with uh, Moses, where God takes some of the spirit that's on him and puts it on the 72 elders after Jethro says, you need help. If you could say it that way, or if you could look at it from the same way that Elijah and Elisha, for instance, where Elisha says, let, a double, let me have a double portion of your spirit, then I can, I'm can i fine with that. But when you get to the idea that, the, that there's a reincarnation of a specific spirit, you know, this is the spirit of Elijah that's within him as opposed to that's the spirit that God gave to Elijah, that same kind of spirit is now being given to Elisha in a different way, I get, but here there's this odd belief in reincarnation that Jesus certainly never affirmed in any shape, form, or fashion, and it's impossible to find in the Old Testament, but but rabbinic Judaism had brought this in, so anyway, that that's why they say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, that Spirit is on you. The, the Holy Spirit has come and is now on you because there's only one way you could know this. You couldn't get there through reason. You have to get there through the Holy Spirit. because So the Father has revealed it to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. So in other words, who am I? Is Jesus' question, who do you think that I am? And now he is responding in kind to the one who gives the answer and saying, Let me tell you who you are. He says, Blessed, are, uh, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So is the rock Peter, or is the rock Peter's confession? I mean, that's that's the main difference between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism in a lot of ways. It has to do with authority. And so it, the authority comes from here, from this question, which is what the, the Roman Catholic Church says on Peter, I will build this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So is, is it Peter, the person who who's, is the first pope, in essence, or is it Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The question does come down to uh, is there um, salvation outside the church? And if you're Roman Catholic, then this passage that we just listened to would say no, there's no salvation outside the church because the church has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the church would only mean the Roman Catholic Church, the one of which Peter was the head. So that's the way they interpret that passage and the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church, and particularly the papacy, that it has the final say on all matters, and if there's a disagreement with that, well, then you're out of step with Christendom. Because in their view, Roman Catholicism is coextensive with Christendom. They're the same thing. It's a bounded set Um, And so you've got two circles that don't even overlap because they're just one circle, really, which is church and Christendom. So that's the issue. And as Protestants, we would say, no, no, popes have erred and and will continue to err into the future. And so, no, I'll take my stand on the confession Peter made of who Jesus is. But it's, that's the important thing, again, is, is that, that we, do, we don't we do want to completely hang our hats on personal interpretation of things, um, because the problem is not only can popes err, so can we, right? So the, the Holy Spirit can lead us into all truth, but we have to be very careful of that, and that's the reason that tradition matters. It's the reason things like creeds matter because we know that if somebody comes and teaches a gospel that's outside the bounds of what the church universal claimed that it believed all these years then then we have to reject what you're bringing new and, and so it's a check and that's the reason we have the word of god as well and so we we have to have those checks on that private interpretation kind of thing but but it's important that we recognize that that we, need, we all need correction and we all need to hear from other people because the reality is, is that I bring something to the table. I'm not a blank slate when I begin to read and comment on Scripture, that I, that I have my own stuff and my own agenda that can get in the way. And so I need others through whom I can hear and, and I can learn because God speaks to his people through his people. In this Revelation passage, then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. That's an interesting idea, that he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And so this is the one, the many diadems, that means he has many crowns on his head, and Jesus would be the only person who this could possibly be. Because he is the one to whom all kingdoms are given, and all things are subject to him and put under his feet. We don't see them yet put under his feet, Paul says, but they will be. You can take my word for it. So, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's Jesus. (laughs) That's John's gospel. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He rides out to conquer, but but he rides out to conquer only because of the oppression of his people. And that's what we saw. Remember, way back when we were talking about those who were in white robes under the throne of heaven, pleading out for justice. These martyrs that were there. And so, when when he rides out to conquer, it, it's as it's in defense of those who have been oppressed by the way of the world, and those who whose lives have been ruined or, or ended because of this kind of oppression. The kind of oppression that. Um, that we read about in the Maccabees for instance. And so we we should never celebrate the demise of anyone it's in fact it's it's not even allowable in Judaism to celebrate the death of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. That there's supposed to be a, it, that's not a completely joyous celebration it's tinged with regret that people died, even people who oppressed and who wronged God's people. It's it, it's not considered okay to celebrate the death of pharaoh's army in that way and so we need to take that same attitude we need to understand that the demonic deception that the world is under and we need to not personalize that towards those who we believe to be agents of that agenda we need to keep it on a spiritual plane and fight the spiritual battle We, we need to make sure that that we know and that we stand in the confession of jesus as lord and then that all things flow from that and we need to be prepared for to defend that in every shape, form, and fashion, but we need to trust him for ultimately that victory belongs to him.